And uh, we are, uh, let's see what's going on here. Yes, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rules stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov. It is a great pleasure, as always, to be here with you talking about one of my favorite subjects in the world, Atlantis. And when I say Atlantis, I mean not only the lost continent, but uh, also the empire that may have existed uh, way back when. I honestly have no idea whether it existed. I want to believe, I want to believe, damn it, that it did exist because there's so many amazing things around it. And we have none other but the amazing Johanna James to speak with us about Atlantis. Johanna James is an actress known for Brotherhood, where you played Penny, Body of Water, Four Deaf Yorkshiremen, After Party. So you are a British actress, and uh, I believe you have a very wonderful British accent as well. And before we start talking about Atlantis, uh, also we got Gnostic Informant. Before we start talking about Atlantis, I want to find out a little bit about you, why you got into the whole Atlantis thing to begin with. And for all the people who are watching, subscribe, subscribe, keep subscribing. Make sure you add a like. That helps the algorithm. And uh, Johanna, go for it. Uh, okay, how do I get into it? Well... Um, the pandemic, we were stuck inside for a very long time and I had loads of time on my hands and I, I found it really hard to focus. And one of the only things that I could focus on was ancient history. And like, I, I went down YouTube rabbit hole. I found, uh, Jimmy from Bright Insights YouTube page and I found his Atlantis video and that just kind of, I was hooked. And, um, I, I reached out to Jimmy because I had an idea for a story to tell about it. And I was like, I've got to reach out to this dude. Um, and he actually replied and was like, hey, do you wanna, um, he was like, I'm more than happy to talk to you through all of my research. I can send you all of my research to put into your um, screenplay. So I ended up um, like FaceTiming Jimmy for like three hours and he just went through all his research with me. It was like really nice. I had no idea at this point I wanted to start a YouTube channel. It was only after I visited Egypt. I, I booked my, myself a ticket and I joined a tour of Egypt on my own. Uh, I was the only Brit that was on the tour. And um, I like, met Ben hey, from Uncharted you... X and Jimmy was also there. And uh, yeah, I just, I started a channel. I made, I, I got so much footage from Egypt from on the ground and like in the pyramids. I just started making videos and people started to watch them and they're still here. So that was when I started finding, that was when I found your channel when you, when you, when you did the Atlanta or um, Egypt videos, the Egypt folks. Yeah. 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 And Atlanta and the uh, channel is funny old world spelled like the old way. O L D E. Yield. Exactly. The old English. Funny old world. Yeah. I, I, um, I named my channel because it, before it was just my name, but um, as I'm also an actress and, and I, so I kind of use my name sometimes for things that aren't to do with ancient history. So I thought, hey, let's let's brand it over here and make a little family. Mm -hmm. So funny old so, world. Funny old world indeed. So as far as Atlantis, I want to start out saying that um, the ancient dialogues of Plato talk about, uh, well, in, uh, in Timaeus and Critias, talk about Critias telling of his grandfather, also named Critias' story, which was told to him by his father, Dropides, which was told to him by a relative and dear friend named Solon, who was the guy who laid the foundation for Athenian democracy in the first place, who was told it by an ancient Egyptian priest over at Sais. And it's a very interesting story talking about how Atlantis was founded by the gods. And this is something that I don't know how much we should take as fact versus mythology where exactly do we differentiate the two 
and I just want to read a short passage and then I would open it up to Jahana and the Gnostic as well. So here we go. Many great and wonderful deeds are recorded of your state in our histories, but one of them exceeds all the rest in greatness and valor, for these histories tell of a mighty power which unprovoked made an expedition against the whole world of Europe and Asia, and to which your city put an end. This power came forth out of the Atlantic Ocean, for in those days the Atlantic was navigable, and there was an island situated in front of the Straits, which are by you called the Pillars of Heracles. By the way, they're called the Straits of uh, Gibraltar. Gibraltar today. Gibraltar. The, the island was larger than Libya and Asia put together and was the way to other islands, and from these you might pass to the whole of the opposite continent, which surrounded the true ocean. For the sea which is within the Straits of Heracles is only a harbor having a narrow entrance, but other is a real sea, and the surrounding land may be most truly called a boundless continent." Now this island of Atlantis there was a great and wonderful empire, which had rule over the whole island and several others, and over parts of the continent, and furthermore, the men of Atlantis had subjugated parts of Libya within the columns of Heracles as far as Egypt, and of Europe as far as Tyrrhenia. I'm not really sure what that is. So anyway, that's just to get us started. Johanna, what do you make of this? Is this just a legend? Is this based in reality, and how do we know? Mm, well... I think that at the moment, um, looking at Randall Carlson's work, because originally I was brought to Atlantis via Jimmy from Bright Insight. So I thought maybe the Atlantis was in the, the Rickout structure in West Africa. Now I've changed my mind and I believe Randall Carlson is correct in that Atlantis, like the main empire was situated in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, which is kind of what Plato says. So I'm going with Plato and I'm going with Randall. Uh, and looking at the research Randall has brought to the table, that which is not his research, he's just collated all the actual scientific evidence from other studies that have, have happened in the last like 50 years. There's nothing to say that it, it couldn't be possible, uh, which is, I think it, it, it's quite big for people to hear that because you think of Atlantis and you immediately think of like the Disney movie or a sci-fi or something that's like crazy woo-woo. But what, what Plato's actually saying is nothing really out of the ordinary there was a civilization that lived they were a big power they had a military they were seafaring they had a society but there, there's nothing in there that's particularly superb sci-fi mm, i would i would take issue to that oh really do you yes. think that because where in where in the, so in the uh, i will tell you exactly i will tell you exactly where so the text at least the ones uh, that the one that was given to us by plato describes mm -hmm. how Poseidon fell in love with this uh, maiden named Calatio, whose mother and father died, and they were situated at the place which then became the center of Atlantis. And uh, Poseidon decided to copulate with her, creating the uh, demigods, mixed blood of gods and uh, humans. That's actually as Hesiod's um, story that, that Plato's using. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, there we go. But anyway, what ended up happening afterwards, uh, according to the story, was that Poseidon terraformed this entire landscape with the power that only a god can have. And thus we have the kind of Atlantis that was described later on. Yeah, well, Poseidon's the sea god. So that's like a esoteric way of saying that the sea, you know, rose up. And back then you would say that's Poseidon. That's what they thought. When anything that happened in the sea, any storms was Poseidon that Poseidon's doing. Poseidon was the god of the sea. There was three major gods, Poseidon, 
Hades is the underworld, and then Zeus is the sky. Zeus. So if anything happens, if you're out in the sea, you literally would you would take your your lamb or your goat and you would give an offering to Poseidon because you're traveling in his land. So anything in the sea is Poseidon. So okay, I'm not disagreeing with you, Lev, but I'm but I will say I think when you read that you should remember this is an ancient text. That's how they that's how they wrote stuff. But but if I may add one more thing real quick before mm -hmm. Jan uh, responds to that, my f I would probably think this is all a myth too. Because I, I, you know, Hesiod is writing, just like all mythology, and this is, and you know, the, the 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 ancient writer in Egypt, sort of makes it seem like it's like the, you know, whatever. I don't really know much about that. I don't even think that's text survived or not. But um, the the reason why I think there's something to this, not not just because of Randall Carson, that's big, that's a big reason, but Herodotus. But no one ever mentions Herodotus. Herodotus is not writing ancient myths. He's writing geography. He's writing. He's mm -hmm. He's the equivalent of like a PhD scholar today, just writing. Okay, over here is the uh, mountain of whatever. It's in the east, and he gets to this chapter. And he's talking about Libya, and all of a sudden he goes, "Oh, ten days journey beyond the Straits of Gibraltar, past the Pillars of Hercules. There is a there's a people called the Atlantis." And that's all he says. He doesn't say anything about Poseidon. He just says that they're they're they live there and they live in salt huts because there, there's a lot of salt there. And they build their structures with salt bricks. And that's all he says. Yes, but let's keep in mind what year this is taking place versus what year supposedly Atlantis existed. There right. could be, for example, right. an Atlantis before and then the Atlantis afterwards with the people there being a shell of their former self. That's nothing really to write home about. Well, I was going to say that Her I think Herodotus is – I think there's like a little bit of both. Like Herodotus is writing about an ancient people. Who are gone they died from a flood i mean there's there's actually archaeology on in the atlantic ocean of like all these artifacts and like pyramids and shit down there it's, it's off the coast of spain don't get me wrong it's not in the middle of the atlantic ocean but it does show that there was a civilization on the eastern on the um the western coast of the of the atlantic ocean off europe and in, in africa so there was something that there was some civilization sure. there uh and then another thing i, I like to mention is this is from randall carlson this is a this is a big deal because the the Atlantic Ridge actually was exposed, I would say, before like 10,000 BC. It might even be, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. Don't quote me on that. You have to look that up. But um, climate change because of like you know asteroids and the sun, sea levels have been rising since for, forever. Not just mm. recently. It's been mm -hmm. they've been rising. They've been on the rise forever. And if you go back far enough, and the sea levels go down the mid-Atlantic ridge actually starts to poke out of the water, which is a fact. So there was a point in time when the ridge did expose. The fact is, were people living there? I don't know. That's a good mm -hmm. question. Oh, and by the so, way, before before I get to Johanna, her, uh, Philip Daniel has a great comment. He says, could Herodotus have described the Guanches native to the Canary Islands? He doesn't say that. He's talking about the Atlantis. That's what, I mean, he literally specific, mm -hmm. specifies. Are you saying he's getting it mixed up? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So, uh, Johanna, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so well, just going back to what you were saying about um, Poseidon and and that whole backstory of creating Atlantis, I always believe in any kind of God story that there is an original kernel of truth in some sort of human or geological thing. And right smack bang in the Azores Plateau, which is where in the middle, the ridge, exactly what you said, were saying, you know, the ridge of the Atlantic Ocean is on a trifold plate the fault line is incredibly delicate and there is 
proof that it used to be over 10,000 years ago above sea level. So the Azores islands, which are there today, were above the level, the Azores plateau and the three sea mounts. There are like three sea mountains that are a little bit south of the Azores plateau. And they're called the Meteor Seamount, the Atlantis Seamount, and then they changed it to the Atlantic like in recent times to save confusion. And there's one more, I forgot the name. But these three seamounts were above the water. And when they were above the water, they would have looked like a trident coming out of the ocean. This is a huge natural geographic phenomenon. And it would have been like kind of what you would have navigated to across the ocean. If you were coming out from Gibraltar, if you were heading towards the cities or the islands in the middle, you would head towards this big three sea mounts, which have, have now um, gone under the ocean and they've been like flattened. But back in the day, can you imagine? So I can understand why people would praise that whole iconic image of Poseidon's trident coming out of the thing. And they're saying, yeah, Poseidon built these islands. Of course, look, he's coming out of the water. <laughs> Uh, the story kind of came from something very real and I can completely see where the origin story of that whole mm -hmm. trident imagery came well, from. And that well, made me really excited. Well, let's get some uh, timelines uh, set. So from what I was able to gather here, Solon, uh, the lawgiver that I mentioned that spoke with the Egyptian priest, was born in 630 BC or 2,600 years ago. So that matches mm -hmm. up, right? Like we add uh, 2,000 years. So the yeah. founding of Egypt, at least according to this text, which said that the founding was uh, 8,000 years before the time of Solon, makes it around 8,600 BC or 10,600 years ago. And the founding of Greece, again, the Greece in this particular Hellas. story, Hellas, yeah, would be 9,600 BC or 11,600 years ago. So we are talking, you know, very expansive dates. But here's the really interesting part. The striking of the comet, which, if I understand correctly, is 10,900 BC. Is that, would that yeah. be the correct date? Around there, yeah. Yeah, so... Well, there's like a thousand years of hell, but yeah. the, one of the comet dates, like the, the very last one is 9,600 BC, mm. which is 9,000 years before Solon in 600 BC was in Egypt being told that. So the dates, the dates line up. up. Yeah. And by the, the way, the that, dates, would have caused, yeah. that would have caused insane flooding, not across the whole world, like the Bible says, wouldn't be a one giant flood. Like that's impossible. But it, what it would cause, it would have caused multiple local floods all over the planet. The Black Sea would have rised up. The ocean would have rised up. The Mediterranean would have rised up. Everything would have been – it caused an ice age in the north. Like this is all when – that, when that stuff when, – when big giant events happen like that, the, the whole climate changes completely. And it takes a long time. It takes like hundreds of years for everything to like sort of balance back out, which, hmm. would, which, would, which would explain why you have all these ancient flood myths and, and they're all spanned out between centuries and – Sumeria has their own, and that's like mm -hmm. 4,000 BC. And then there's different ones in, in, in the Nile, and there's different ones in, in India. And they're all in different time periods, but it's not all at once. But like, yeah, it's all because of a, a big event that caused lots of climate change ripples. And we have Gobekli Tepe around uh, 9,000 BC or 10,000 years ago. And I was going yeah, to bring that up. And that's no, definitely. And supposedly the uh, plasma 
uh, from the sun, if we are to uh, believe what uh, the geologist Robert Chalk, for those who remember him uh, talking about the uh, Sphinx uh, being around 14,000 years old based on the weathering pattern, that's right, uh, he dates 9,700 BC to this whole plasma fire occurrence. And why that is very interesting to me is that if we, again, go back to the initial text in Timaeus, he talks about these various patterns occurring. So, for example, uh, the Egyptian priest says, I mean to say, he replied, that in my mind you are all young. There is no old opinion handed down among you by ancient tradition, nor any science which is hoary with age. And I will tell you why. There have been and will be again many destructions of mankind arising out of many causes. The greatest have been brought about by the agencies of fire and water, and other lesser ones by innumerable other causes. See, just like you guys were saying, there is a story of which you have preserved that once upon a time Patheon, the son of Helios, having yoked the steeds in his father's chariot uh, because he was not able to drive them in the path of his father, burnt up all that was upon the earth and was himself destroyed by a thunderbolt. Now this has the form of a myth, but really signifies a declination of the bodies moving in the heavens and around the earth, and the great conflagration of things upon the earth, which recurs after long intervals. This so is there like, you have it. This is like what I was just saying about Poseidon. Like when you when you try to and when the ancients are writing history and they want to preserve it, they're going to mythologize it. So the sea becomes Poseidon. The sun, the sun becomes Helios or Apollo. So the, you can actually interpret this story as. An event happened. This something happened with the sun. They saw a lot of lightning in the sky. Like you know, like it, I'm not saying that's what it is, but it, you, it's possible. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a reason why Plato includes the fall of Phaeton because it is a it's an analogy for a, a like a, a cataclysmic event that happened. It's the falling of a comet. Um, if you actually read it, uh, like with the eyes of what you're actually looking at. Uh, it, it's it's almost like it can't be saying anything other than that. It, they even describe it as the 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 sisters watch watch him fall like past the moon and and down it with like char chariot of fire is like the comet tails used to be called the same thing. It, it, um, yeah, there's a reason why Plato included that in his text because it's it's exactly what you said, Noel. It's how old people used to encapsulate important information they would put it into storytelling with gods and they'd make it like a theatrical thing it's how we would do it if we were going to have to like tell the story of the pandemic for thousands of years we would make all the characters like gods and we'd make the story something really memorable that kids could remember and we'd retell it and retell it and retell it so what would be your interpretation, Johanna, of the uh, was himself destroyed by a thunderbolt, talking about how this occurrence of whatever brought this fire, or if we were to take Robert Chalk's idea plasma onto the earth, that that was itself destroyed by a thunderbolt? I mean, I think that both Robert Chalk's plasma, I think, of course, the sun could have had a crazy polarizing plasma I, that could as well as a comet i think probably it was raining all it was probably a hell show that time but i think that's probably right if you're using that story as an analogy or a metaphor then like let's read it as that and yeah thunderbolt from the sun it also could Just, mean like because zeus is like another word for sky like sky father it also could be an interpretation that zeus just did they they think zeus did it you know, there could be something simple like that because Zeus is always the one who has the thunderbolt. I mean, I don't just 
I'm just guessing here. I'm speculating. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that there's like Zeus, Sky, Thunderbolt, and right. then you've got Poseidon, Trident coming out of the ocean, which was the mountain. Like, there's probably yeah. real physical things in nature that people were, were attributing to the gods, and yeah. that makes total sense. And I just thought about this too, because I like to bring up Herodotus when I talk about this, because Herodotus is not, he's being serious about this. But he also writes about, he does get a little wacky sometimes. Like, for example, he talks about the Hyperboreans, who are the Germans, the ancient Germans. And he says, over in the north, the Hyperboreans, there's one-eyed men up there, and there's gold-guarding griffins. Griffins are like lions with wings with, like, hawk's heads. And, like, okay, that's ridiculous. But Germany is still, the Hyperboreans were a real people, and there's Germany existed. The, the land is there. It's the cold north, just like he describes it. But he kind of... Yeah, he he heard that story from somebody and he just wrote it in there. So he's just writing what he he's just giving he's just putting down what he the information that he has. So if 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 he would have like for like Plato to say talk about Poseidon and all that, it could be this sort of the same thing because Plato's not really a mythology writer either. He's like a philosopher. Mm-hmm. He's he's serious too. I mean, he does get into a lot of myths and stuff like that, but he's more he's. Oh, sorry about that, everybody. Hold on one second. It was so important because when people love each other, their society is better. They fight for each other when it, when it, when an, uh, an army invades them. They're more willing to fight for their families. So he's not like saying that love is really a god that exists, but he's talking about the concepts behind. It. So that so Plato's serious too. So I think Plato should be taken seriously when he writes about this stuff. But yeah, and also the audience that he's trying to write this to, they they want to hear, they want to hear yeah. about gods, and they yeah. under that's their language. And I, so I think a lot of Plato, I'm not gonna, I'm not not one to say that every single thing that Plato wrote is like gospel fact. Right. I think I think that it's yeah, a lot of it idea. was, yeah. I think in my personal opinion is that Plato had no idea the reality of the story that he'd come across, and the fact that it was all completely based in a real scientific event that happened in human history. And he was using it for his own reasons. And he, he was obviously like layering in all of the Greek stuff that was relevant to his audience. But I think that he, I think even he didn't really understand the truth that was behind right. what Solon had discovered. Um, and Solon, I, Solon wrote the constitution for Athens. So this is like, this is a genius. Like this is, he's one of the seven sages of, of ancient Greece. He's one of the greatest minds yeah. of all time. He, he he's the he's the law, they call him the lawgiver like Moses, but he puts down the the idea for democracy, constitutional republics. This was a brilliant thinker who is not just going to just we, sh- we should take him seriously. And yeah. uh, one thing about Plato, I want to mention though, you, he does have some really because someone's gonna someone's in the comments will be like, but Plato. And so before I even get to that, I'll just I'll be the first one to do it. Plato had some horrible ideas, like he thought that. He thought that women can get pregnant and the baby can travel down to the lake. Like he wasn't, he had some weird shit going on, but, (laughs) but he really was brilliant. He really was a genius. Most of his work is just timeless since it's like, you know, timeless. Hmm. Now I want to, I want to get back to uh, Johanna's uh, opinion of what exactly may have occurred. If we don't take the route of this, just being the natural disasters, if we actually go by the route of attributing like exactly what the story says. So if we were to attribute exactly what the story says, it goes as follows for many generations, as long as the divine nature lasted in them, 
they were obedient to the laws. So here they're talking about the kings of Atlantis, basically the progeny of uh, you know people like Atlas, who was the son of Poseidon, and so on and so forth. Uh, so they were obedient to the laws, well affection towards the god whose seed they were, for they possessed true and in every way great spirits, uniting gentleness with wisdom in the various chances of life and in their intercourse with one another. They despised everything but virtue, caring little for their present state of life, and thinking lightly of the possession of gold and other property which seemed only a burden to them, neither were they intoxicated by luxury nor did wealth deprive them of their self-control, but they were sober and saw clearly that all all these goods are increased by virtue and friendship with one another, whereas too great regard and respect for them, they are lost in friendship with them. By such reflections and by the continuance in them of a divine nature, the qualities which we have ascribed grew and increased among them. But when the divine portion began to fade away and became diluted too often and too much with the mortal admixture, the human nature got the upper hand. They then, being unable to bear their fortune, behaved unseemly, and to him who had an eye to see, grew visibly debased, for they were losing their fairest of their precious gifts. But to those who had no eye to see the true happiness, they appeared glorious and blessed at the very time when they were full of avarice and unrighteous power. So, Johanna, what do you make of that? Oh, the... The, the fall of humanity. I mean, that's a that's not a new story. That idea is replicated in so many ancient cultures that there were these godly ones who were pure, uh, the Nephilim, they were big, and then they kind of interbred with us lowly humans and eventually humanity took over. Uh, I, again, I think that side of the story, what Plato's talking about is he's talking to his audience because he's using uh, his 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 dialogue to talk about humanity and about the ideal state and that, that kind of thing. So that I don't know how much of that he took from the Egyptian side of it, because when, when the Egyptians are talking about relaying the information about Atlantis, I mean, we don't know whether he got that from the Egyptians or whether Plato is like adding, adding that in. But mm. I mean, I, I don't. I, I think it's more like that's like the the legend and the lore of Atlantis that they were. I mean, whoever were the the original Atlantis um, foundation layers. I mean, they were geniuses. It it, it says that uh, in the Egyptian tradition, it says that the island that fell into the sea, where the Egyptian people originated from, they don't they don't call it Atlantis. They just call it the island. They say that that's where they got the pyramid and the obelisk shape from, like the building structure. So they they. They knew the pyramid builders were essentially from this like pre-time. That is the custom that the Egyptians stick to. And by the like, way, the archaeology under under the water off the coast of Spain and off the coast of Africa, pyramids, just like you see in Egypt. So I'm not. And, then, and even in Cuba, like there are there are there are underwater um, places where I think if we could only drain the ocean, we could see, but I found that really, really interesting. That's what, um, a tour guide told me in Egypt. Cause I went to the Edfu temple cause it's the only place where unfortunately the temple of Sais is now fallen into the sea. So we can't even cross reference what Plato mm. or Solon was saying. If it was only there, then we could, and then everyone would shut up. So I do believe it's there, but cause that's where Sais was where they kept, um, all of their archives and their like sacred registers. Um, and yeah, I think that if we could go there, but we can't, we can only go to Edfu. And Edfu, they have apparently the, that Thoth who came from Atlantis or the Atlantean Empire before, and he came and he wrote everything down and it's on the temple of Edfu. But they don't say the name Atlantis. Again, I think that's a 
Greek name that was added to the story around Plato Solon's time. I don't think that was the original name for what that island was. Mm. Um, but I found it amazing that that's what the story is, is that the the shape of the pyramids and the obelisk and, the, and, and all of that building knowledge came from that place. So obviously they were clever and could be perceived as gods. I, when I see ancient cultures and they say they call people gods or aliens or the ones that I always think they're just cleverer people than you and you see them as a god like people would see a celebrity and be like oh it's a god well, how like, do you define cleverness um so i would say like advanced knowledge of um agriculture stars mathematics like things that are okay. th that you would um more than like civilized information i guess well, with civilized information, uh, let's keep in mind what was written here about the uh, about the life of these kings. They were well affectioned towards the gods whose seeds they were. They possessed true and in every way great spirits, uniting gentleness with wisdom in the various chances of life. So when I hear something like this, I also think of spiritual development. I think of people <laughs> that were able to ascend higher up the chain as far as their perception of reality goes. And for example, today you have various gurus, various people that you could call enlightened beings. In the past, you've had people like the Buddha, for example, or uh, Jesus Christ, or people of that mm -hmm. nature that you could look at and say like, yeah, this is like an advanced being. So my question to you is, how much do you attribute certain things that you would find in mystery schools that you would find in certain uh, tantric texts, for example, talking about the transmutation of one sexual energy into a higher state? How much would you equate that with also being in the state of a god? I mean, exactly that. I think that people back then, we see technology and advanced technology as mechanical things, like engineered things, because that's the kind of, we've branched off as humans in this cycle of civilization. And we find things like machines really impressive, like, wow, iPhones, this, this, this. I can, I can order something to do, a machine can uh, do something that I tell it to with my, just my voice. I think thousands, 10,000 years ago, I think human technology had branched off in a different direction and was way more um, in tune with nature and energies and quantum physics in a way that I think we've kind of lost. We're not as in tune with. And so, yeah, people who perhaps were very in tune with frequencies, they're the, all over the ancient world. The reoccurring theme is frequencies. Like it's, it's frequencies, mathematics, uh, energies it, it, it's all over ancient Egypt the walls are just covered with how to activate a building with energy and we're like activate a building like we don't understand the technology because it's not how we've developed but I can imagine 10,000 years ago 20,000 years ago humans were going along a different path and they could probably interact with the world in a way that we would see as high technology how did you move a stone that weighs this much how did you manipulate this element of the world that we can't do anymore and it sounds you get into like a little bit of a, a woo-woo territory but I, I i do think i think that 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 the gods of the old times were probably uh humans that were just super connected and they could probably do incredible feats they could understand engineering problems in ways that we can't now and uh, yeah, I just, I see it like different. They're just differently advanced to us. So they were advanced, but just differently. And yeah, I think they, they, they would become godlike. Imagine going to the, um, into the Amazon rainforest right now and bringing 
an Apple watch hmm. and trying to like show it off and explain it. And you would just seem like an utter God. And so that's in my opinion, where I think the the tales of the, of the gods and especially if they're traveling hmm. around and sharing the knowledge. I, I mean, even now, uh, like frequencies are healing, starting to heal cancers. You can find certain frequencies that can kill cancers in cancer cells. And I'm like, are we going full circle here? Like 10,000 years ago, did they know this? And they knew that certain frequencies could heal body cells. Um, I don't know. Well, we are, we're all vibration, man. No, I know exactly what you're talking about, Johanna. And with the iPhone example, I don't think that it's as good of an example because you wouldn't really be able to know how to build an iPhone. It's something that was constructed out of so many different so many yeah. different pieces of information but as far as let's say if the technology to be able to and again there are certain people out there like rupert Sheldrake who think that this does exist and there are experiments to prove it does if we're talking about telepathy for example if we're talking about the ability to find out certain things without necessarily having to go somewhere if there is an inner internet that would have existed back then that people would have had access to then that would have made them more I'd say uh, godlike. But mm -hmm. what's interesting about that is that you have people like Rudolf Steiner, for example, who also talk about Atlantis. For those who don't know Rudolf Steiner, he was in theosophy, then his, he started his own group. And his whole idea was that human beings in general started from a divine source. And maybe we could say that these human beings are not even just limited to the planet Earth. So when people talk about like, oh, aliens landed here and they seeded the planets, like maybe, but what do you call an alien? And like, why wouldn't aliens look like us? Maybe in a more spectral kind of like ethereal form. But anyway, mm -hmm. Rudolf Steiner's point was that in the uh, ancient Atlantean times, people thought in terms of pictures. They thought in terms of images. But then as soon as they started thinking, I guess in the more rational uh, way in a more let's say uh you know i don't know if it's uh, abstract i don't know what the right word here but his conclusion was that when people's minds started to change it's almost like they started to discover a potential to do a lot of harm to people if they wanted to then maybe that's talking about biting the apple of good and evil i'm not sure i mean there are ways we could tie this to the bible can't we w what do you think I mean, humans have just always been, I don't think there's ever been like a perfect human state. I think humans are by default just idiots. And, and I think that there's, all, we, we love to talk about, you know, the good, the goodies and the baddies, even when we watch a movie right now, what is it? We're following goodies, beating baddies. We're kind of obsessed with this good and bad, but everyone's a bit good and bad. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know about, uh, if there was this like previous good perfect society and and plato's is is a weird one because they talk about atlantis being the goodies then they turn into the baddies and then the athenians are the goodies yes. but in the end of it everybody dies so everybody it's a really dies. rubbish it's a really like weird story if you're going to do the the proper story and be like it it would follow the uh, the 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 line of they were good and then they turned evil, but then the Athenians beat the baddies and like, hurrah. And like, that's not what he says. He says, well, they were kind of good and then they turned bad and then the Athenians, and then everybody just died because of um, a cataclysm. I can give you an explanation for that. If I were the gods, the reasons why I would do such a thing is I would say that 
the Athenians, even though they're good right now, they've already seen what some of these other people could do. Maybe some of them are thinking, hmm, maybe it's not a bad mm -hmm. idea for me to start creating this empire. You know, like once I end up conquering, uh, once I end up conquering Atlantis, you know, maybe I'm going to keep doing what they do. So in a way, I think that if there was some great reset at that time, it was for the purpose of just uh, making sure that for a certain amount of time, these demigods would not be able to function as they did. They would hey, not be able to have the strength to. Hey, Lev, I put some of those images of the um, underwater stuff in the private chat. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah I'm going to take a look at them. But uh, I don't know. It is, it is an interesting thing to think about whether there is this karmic justice as opposed to just this arbitrary justice of some fragment from outer space hitting us no matter what we do. Or there is that whole idea of the Tower of Babel, for example, where for a certain period of time, humans were able to unite and create this great empire. And then God just had to come down, confuse everybody's language, and we had to start from scratch. Almost Messing like, all up. yeah, exactly. Well, almost like the closer we get to the gods, the more uh, of a threat the gods feel from us. And the question is, if we assume this to be real, which again, it could all just be fiction, but if we do assume it to be real, are the gods justified in them being afraid of these stupid half-god, half-humans ruining it for everybody, not being orderly, just being greedy, conquering everything that they see? Um, just going back, you said you, you think that originally uh, people saw in pictures, and then you think when that changed... Where do you get that from? So that was from Rudolf Steiner. Right, okay, okay. Just because, interestingly, the one thing that I've noticed, if I was going to take a stab at Atlantean um, ornaments um, and, like, buildings and everything, it's all clean cut. It's all, like, weirdly um, decoration-free, writing-free. It's all everything that could possibly be from an older civilization is all completely minimal and minimalist. And I was just interested to, to think that, okay, well, what if from the time before, like maybe they didn't actually have writing. That wasn't a, maybe they didn't need writing. Maybe their communication was different and they didn't need writing because it was only like in the later civilizations that we see things. And the same in India, the, the old stuff like the Barbar Caves, it's all minimal and there's, there's no inscriptions um, all of the statues in Egypt that could possibly be from earlier times. It's all super minimal. And so it was just weird that you said that because I was like, they see in pictures. And I was like, well, maybe they didn't write because that look, it kind of looks like that hmm. from, from the artifacts that we find. There's no inscriptions, there's no writing. I, I have a feeling that Atlantis didn't have any writing. Or if they did, they didn't put it anywhere. Like they didn't write it into things. And, and the Greeks too have the ancient script known as linear A and B. So their their oldest writing you get it looks almost eerily similar to Egyptian. They even have like some one of one of the symbols for the because this is like what do you call it? So they're hieroglyphics basically, and mm -hmm. one of one of the symbols is literally the Ankh, and this is in this is in Greece. They're using these symbols before like you know 800 BC. I want I want to say like right around there. That's what they were writing with. So they were writing in images even in Greece, not just Egypt or you know what I mean. Well, yeah, and also, like, why haven't we found anything, any kind of symbolist from this time? Like, why have we, because we can find almost every language from every civilization. We can find their writing, and we can find the origins of writing, which kind of come 
really early in, in mm. um, the Middle East. But I'm like, well, maybe that's the reason why we haven't found the writings of the Atlanteans because maybe they didn't write and not in the way that we would think that. Well, but. What about the ancient Greeks and ancient Egypt? If we're specifically, well, let's say just stick to ancient Egypt for now. If we're talking about the period around Nakada three, so that's three, three, 200 to 3000 BC. Mm -hmm. So we're not really finding anything there that would talk about like these Atlantean survivors coming to Egypt and reestablishing civilization. It seems that whatever we find around this period is still pretty primitive, but then we do all of a sudden have these hieroglyphics and things appearing in uh, Mesopotamia and Egypt at around the same time. So what do you make of what exactly is going on there? What is, what, what, what is going on here? I think was speaking with um when i went to egypt i was uh, i was given a tour by a guy called uh, youssef youssef uh Aryan. <laughs> and he is the son of um one of the ancient wisdom keepers of egypt so there's the Comitian people are like the indigenous tribe of egypt because because egypt now is like super multicultural and it, years later it had like a huge arab influx so modern egypt isn't quite the same as ancient egypt but commission egypt is the closest you're going to get to like the the start of it and in their oral tradition um that they go back thousands and thousands of years before the dynastic egyptians happen and even even then when they say the, the dynastic the first dynasty of egypt which is like around 4000 bc a bit after that um that came from uniting the two kingdoms of egypt so i find it really weird that they call that the first dynasty i'm like well right. surely That's, but there was yeah. so, so there were other kingdoms that were already there and that was just the first one of the north and the south that came together to be like right together um and talking to youssef youssef said he thinks that the timeline that the uh the western egyptologists have put on egypt he thinks that needs to be extended and pulled out a lot longer. He thinks that there was people living and being around Egypt thousands of years before we, we put that pen in this pen, like a flag in the sand. And so he's, he thinks that it's more like 7,000 BC, 8,000 BC, um, that things really start to happen there, which would make sense if we're looking from the, t the timeline of this huge cataclysm ha happening around 9,600 BC. And there's like the fallout of that. It's like for a thousand years, 2,000 mm. years, people are kind of getting themselves back together. They've just lost everything. They've lost all the structure. And then suddenly it starts to kind of come back. And that makes way more sense because he said there are certain things in Egypt that we just need to pull the timeline back a lot more. Like they even, um, the date of the pyramid, um, last year they found a piece of wood inside the wall of the pyramid and they carbon dated it and it was up to 800 years older than the date that they had currently for mm. the pyramid, which puts it completely not in Khufu's reign. What would be the date approximately? Like how many years ago? For, for so... What? For, for the for the great pyramid so oh, for the so piece the, of wood for the so the piece of wood it was it was up to 800 years before oh my gosh i'm going backwards on the numbers so that would that would put the great pyramids in like the 3000 bcs not the 2000 they think it's like 2500 yeah mm -hmm. yeah it would it would put it more um again like nearly a thousand years the, the know, other way you know and that's just the piece of wood yeah, you know, you know what? I, you made a good point. Is like Narmer, the first, supposedly the first pharaoh, mm -hmm. he didn't just come out of nowhere with like a built cities and 
and, and an empire and like, you know, all this royal stuff and clothing and gold that had to existed before they, you know, it's like, I get, I'll give you like an, a good example. It's like we have the year one based off, you know, Jesus, I guess, but like really it's like Pax Romana, the Augustan era. But, um, but so like we think that's the year one, but really there's a lot of shit that happened before that or like in America, 1776. But like before that, there was people living in the 1600s. You had all the, the colonists. Yeah. Well, Egypt is the same way. Egypt, yeah, they had their first United Kingdom on armor. But before that, there was city-states. So Heliopolis was its own entity. It ran it had its own king. And, you know, in the north, they had their own – the Nubians were there and the Ethiopians. And then the, when, when, when trade got better, when travel got better, that's when you see the first dynasty. Because now you have, like, better better roads, better buildings – but this mm-hmm. is this didn't just happen in one day. This is th- this takes thousands of years. So who like the, the farther oh, back that- they go, the more primitive they get, the more exactly. less traveling mm-hmm. they do. And, but like it just all leads up to that first dynasty. Mm-hmm. But uh, to Jahana's point, in one of your videos, you were talking about this pottery that supposedly can only be carved by a diamond edge. So what exactly is going on there? Well, so this is it. There are artifacts and there are things that are found in Egypt from the early dynasties. We're talking like second dynasty graves, third dynasty graves, where they found these there's thousands and thousands of pieces of pottery that have never they they never were never replicated since. They were the way that they were made was so high tech. They were so precise, and then the Egyptian pottery from later dynasties never got close to the, what this was like. And it's the same, the earliest stuff from this very first dynasty and the first four dynasties, I'd say, of Egypt, mm. this is where we find the stuff that's crazy, like high tech. And then never again was it ever, after thousands of years of Egyptian dynasties, did they, they didn't evolve it. They didn't make it bigger. They didn't make it better. They didn't make it more precise. It got worse. The statues at the end of the dynasty are nothing like the statues that you find from the early early dynastic which makes me think that they were not made then that they were the remnants of the old civilization and they were restarting civilization with these relics with these like um treasured ancestor pieces and they were trying to replicate them i would say that the whole aesthetic of egypt you know with the pharaoh and their clothes and everything i think that they were replicating the civilization before because they found these huge statues like a thousand ton marble cut statues of the gods of before and so i would take a stab at saying that the um egyptian dynastic look and aesthetic is based off a previous civilization i don't think that they invented it um that would be my if we're talking about the egyptian wing disc for instance what do you attribute that symbology to were you able to find out exactly what it means or are people just pretty much guessing as far as what exactly is going on here? Well, the, I think it's like the Ra, the sun God, um, which is uh, interesting what we were going back again, we were saying the, the sun being a God with a thunderbolt and like the sky, like we've always just gone father God is the sun. I can see that. What's also interesting when I said um, that these ancient, um, buildings and the ancient things have no writing or inscriptions actually that's not correct there is one inscription or uh shape that you can see was on the original um there are these like granite boxes in 
in Egypt. And they actually do have like a circular inscription. A circle has been carved out. And that is the only kind of sign or symbol that's from the original design. And then if there's a hieroglyphs or any other pattern, it's been added later at a later date. So I think that the circle symbol has is is more ancient than we even realize and we go oh yeah it was the it was the raw god but i think that it p- possibly could be like super super ancient like atlantean ancient that we have this sort of circle symbol i don't know what it means but i just find it interesting that that's the only symbol that's been found on any of the stuff that we think is in the wrong place in time well, there's, there's a circle like, yeah. and there's the snakes as well. So if we have the winged disc, for example, we have the wings spreading out, but we also have these two snakes that are coming out. And again, I know that I have to be careful when it comes to not being too woo about what all of these things mean and not attributing something to something that it is not. But if you look over here, there's this Sumerian depiction of um, what is uh, called, I believe, the Sumerian tree of life, where we have mm-hmm. this tree and these gentlemen, sometimes there are bird people uh, with the pine cones, and right above them is the winged disc, just like we see in Egypt. So when I take a look at something like that, I would compare it to, for example, the tree of life that we would see in uh, Judaism, for instance, in the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. or I would compare it to in Hermeticism, where we have a similar structure of something coming from below going up, and same motif of the snake coming up and the wing spreading out. And lastly, we have the actual process of, I know, Lev's Law. So on the stream, every time I talk about Kundalini, every uh, it's considered Lev's Law. Like the, every stream is supposed to have me talking about the Kundalini experience, which I also have. So you know about Kundalini, too, uh, right? No. All right. I'm going to tell you about Kundalini. It's your lucky day. No problem at all. You are just in time for me to educate Jahana about what Kundalini is. So in Tantric Hinduism, and I'm not limiting it just to that, but that's where the term comes from. It implies a coiled snake that sits in your root chakra, which is coiled, I believe, two and a half times. And through various meditation exercises, you end up transmuting the sexual energy and awakening the snake in the root chakra so that this energy flows up through all your chakras into your crown chakra. And that is considered to be the process of enlightenment. And so then when I see these pharaohs with their headgear, with the snake poking out, Mm -hmm. and I see that winged disc with the two snakes, you know, corresponding to the two... uh, to the uh, two hemispheres or two poles. So for example, in Hermeticism or in the Kabbalah, you would have these two columns of severity and mercy. Uh, but the idea is you have to go through the, um, through the third, you have to go through the middle path all the way up. And same thing in right. Hinduism, where you have mm-hmm. the uh, Shishunma, uh, no, you have the Ida and Pingala Nadi. So these are the two pillars, but then you have the Shishunma, which is right through the center, and that's the mm-hmm. area through which this Kundalini energy, the sexual energy, has to go through in order for you to reach this higher state. So just there's also, tr- yeah, there's also a Christian, an early second century Christian group called the Nasins, N A A S S E N E S, and they're at the word Nahash in Hebrew is snake. So they were like the snake people. And they were like this weird Gnostic sect that was like into syncretism. So they were like, yeah, Jesus and Osiris are the same God, basically. Like, this is one of their teachings of, of the Nasim preacher. Like Addis from Phrygia, yeah, that's Jesus too. They're all the logos. Like it's all the same thing. 
that was like their philosophy and that the church hated them they condemned them as heretics and we're all like, jesus but yeah it's always the occult for some reason the serpent symbolism in the occult uh mm -hmm. alexander the great's mother olympias she was known to have like snakes in her bed sleeping with her like she was like into serpents and all that in fact the uh the greek alexander romance the story that Ptolemy uh, passed down to us about Alexander says Philip of Macedon was not his father. Nectanebo, who was the last pharaoh of Egypt, he fled Egypt from the Persians when they took over Egypt. And he went to Macedon and then he met Olympias, uh, Alexander's wife, while Philip was off to war against the Scythians. And he, he transformed into a serpent from the god Amon, turned him into a serpent, and then he impregnated uh Olympias, and that's how Alexander was born. It was a miracle birth. A serpent impregnated Olympias, and that's how Alexander was born. So then Alexander later on, when he goes to Egypt and he, he frees them from the Persians, you know, uh, liberates them, he goes to the Oracle of Amon, which is in the middle of the Siwa Desert, and he asked the god, he said, what's my fate? And he said, you are my son who I've begotten, and you're going to conquer the whole world. So, And then, by the way, that whole story is on the walls in Egypt in Luxor. There's a, um, what's her name? Mary Beard, I think her name is. The, um, the uh, no, not Mary Beard. Another girl who does all these amazing videos on, on uh, ancient Egypt. I can't think of her name right now. But she has a whole episode on, she goes to Luxor, Egypt, and she's, she knows how to read hieroglyphics. And she's showing, like, wow. this is where Alexander the Great becomes the, or meets the god Amon and becomes the son of God. I'm like, dude, it's all written on the walls wow. in Egypt. All right there. But uh, well, Johanna, it's yeah. Yeah, go on. I'm saying it's no wonder that the Christian church uh, turned the snake into like the, the worst, the enemy. Because yes. I imagine they do that. They turn the most powerful things like women and snakes and things that are actually like good. Um, if the ancient symbol for snake was like knowledge, empowerment, and, and then they turned it into the bad guy, stay away from snakes. Right. Um, I can completely understand that, that happening. But well, it, Moses, what does he do? He he's in the desert, mm -hmm. and they're all dying of snake bites. So, what does Moses do? He takes a serpent, he puts it around his stick, and he he holds it up. He says, "Anyone who looks at this will be healed." So there, and then there's the famous the famous phrase from John in the book of in the New Testament where he says, "Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man should be lifted up." So there is an element that they are giving a nod to this serpent magic, basically. Well, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, one other way to think about this is you have this process of achieving knowledge, but the question is, what do you do with the knowledge? So going back to why the gods may have been afraid of the uh, humans, or rather demigods, doing bad things with it is because they may have done exactly that. If people possess this kind of energy and they used it to enslave other people, as was talked about in this ancient text, then if you were the gods, what would be your responsibility there? You're not going to put up with that shit. You know, you're going to have to nip that in the bud. Yeah. yeah Asclepius was the, was the healer God in uh, the ancient Greek and Roman times. And he he literally is depicted as having holding a rod with a serpent around it. And that symbol to this day is the symbol for medical. The serpent around the staff is the rod of a yes. That is the same symbol. medical, yeah. The ancient Greeks had the same symbol that we have today. Hmm. But, uh, Johanna, what do you exactly make of this transformation that I was talking about? Do you buy it? Do you think it's just uh, the mind that's playing tricks on all of us who partake in these kind of uh, no, practices? No, I think it 
I think it's real. Like, so the, um, when I was down in Saqqara in Egypt, when you, there's like these man-made tunnels that go under the desert. And in there, there are these incredibly uh, precision cut granite boxes. They're huge. They're like over six foot tall, 10 foot deep. Um, anyway, the, 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 the guy, the manager of the area, he was, I was just talking to him and he said, one of the best things to do is to lie in one of these boxes because the resonance is insane. And he says, um, he goes, I can hit all my chakras like perfectly when I'm in the box. And he goes, I love the, the energy under here is like really good. Um, so I, I think so. I think this is where I think that the ancients had, they had abilities to access real things that are in our world. And I think our human bodies are way more powerful uh and we can access things and it seems all it gets all like oh you're a hippie but i i, I think <laughs> that there's actual like science behind it and we're gonna we're gonna come full circle and we're gonna discover that and like exactly why um sh chakras are real and meditation is real and mm. how cells react thought is powerful like like um you know we're, we're sort of starting to get into it with the placebo effect and about how yeah. powerful thought can be. And if you really believe and think something to an ex existence, there's like studies starting to happen on the power of prayer because, because when you have a huge group of people collectively thinking about something and we can like, you know, we, energy doesn't disappear. We're just forcing it in all the different places. Exactly. So, so I um, am starting to, maybe a few years ago, I probably would have been like, Meh. but now I, I think that it's, I think it's all connected in ways that we don't understand. I think that, um, sacred geometry and shapes also have an impact that we don't understand a bit like wi-fi like we can't see or sense wi-fi but it's going on and it's interacting i think the same with um sacred geometry the shape of things interact with the energy of things and um well, I, you I, could I, even see yeah. it in us, I think. We can see it in human beings. I mean, you could say you could see it in cats, you could see it in dogs, all kinds of animals, but specifically with human beings, something I noticed is that the distance from the chin to the nose is equal, you know, give or take, from the nose to the eyebrow ridge, from the eyebrow ridge to where the hair starts growing. And I have so far not found any animal that has that particular quality. So there is something very interesting to the human form where when it is said that we are made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we are gods ourselves. But what it means is that there are certain sacred geometrical things that we can see in the human form that at least to me gives the idea that there's something more going on, that this is not just an accident. Have you heard, oh, of, yeah, a, yeah. Have you heard of a man named Edgar Casey? Yes. All yes. right, so... Here are some of the things. So for those who don't know, Edgar Cayce, he was a psychic. He was also, I believe, a Christian um, minister as well. But he focused on looking into the past lives of people and uh, getting mm -hmm. to, you know, the understanding of what jobs certain people may go for, helping them out in that way. But through all these records that he was able to accumulate of these past lives, he accumulated a certain history of Atlantis. Now, I haven't read the full thing, so I would love for you to enlighten me as well on what exactly Edgar attributed to some of these Atlantean things, if you, if you recall. But here is one thing that he wrote. So, man has existed in the Earth for at least, what was this, 10 million years. Atlantis was one of the places where man as such developed. Uh, the origin was as a spirit, not a physical body. See, just like Rudolf Steiner said, these souls projected themselves into matter, probably for their own diversion, interrupting an evolutionary pattern, then going on in the earth. Uh, 
through the use of his creative powers for selfish purposes, man became entangled in matter or materiality to such an extent that he nearly forgot his divine origin in nature. A long time ago, a very long time ago, man attained great technological progress equal to, if not surpassing, that existing today. Just as the misuse of their spiritual powers brought turmoil, strife, and questioning among themselves, man's misuse of scientific and material achievements brought physical destruction in the earth. Well, I mean, I'm not sure about the 10 million years, but however, uh, we keep pushing the dates back of human origins. Like, even just in last year, it jumped from humans being around 200,000 years old, like, uh, correct, uh, by modern humans. And then they pushed it back to 300,000. And, like, I mean, I think in the next few years, they're going to keep pushing it back and back and back and back. And, like, we, we are going to keep getting older. Um, Why is 10 million I, I, too much? I mean, it just—I mean, it seems like a lot from now because we we're, we're we're used to being told that we're humans are only existed in this little pocket. Um, I mean, weirdly, I did—I get a lot of people emailing me uh, for all sorts of reasons, but I did get this one guy, and he was like, "I used to live in Atlantis, and you probably won't believe me, but I'm gonna just draw everything for you, and I'm going to um, tell you about it." And he he said that there were people living in Atlantis two million years ago. That was for his story, and he did—he gave me some lovely little drawings of and he said plato did get it correct about the circular thing um although he said that there was writing that looked kind of similar to what would be modern day chinese and i was like really are you sure on the writing because my theory is that there wasn't any writing but um but yeah like i mean so okay so he he's he said two million um i don't i don't i don't know about the about the about the uh, but then he's talking about two million years they were going back and they were just energy mm. Well, yes, I mean, that, that is something that also has to be accounted for as well. When we're talking 10 million years, it doesn't exactly mean 10 million years in this corporeal human form. It could have been in this more spectral kind of state, but also, like, um, yeah. Like um, um, consciousness. Yeah, well, so like the a conscious, human... like, like a thought form. Yeah, so human, human consciousness, because uh, I, I guess that's what really makes us human, and apart from... We are like sentient beings, but we're also we have human consciousness, and maybe that arrived before our physical skeletons. Well, got or fully physical, formed. well, according to this, at least, and according to Steiner, the physical skeletons and the organs and all the mushy, the gutty works, if you will, this all eventually started to happen as we started getting entangled into materiality. Kind of like if you believe something for too long, it starts manifesting itself as being that so in a way maybe yeah. what we all are is just uh understanding of a certain pattern that we just accumulate accumulated to like this is what we believe thus this is the way that we live which is kind of like the ultimate idea of karma you're stuck with repeating whatever it is that you uh you know uh, did earlier on and this was kind of Casey's point, that all these yeah. uh, incarnations that he saw in people were indications of the things that they had to work on. So they kept repeating certain things over and over again, like Groundhog Day. I think, therefore, I am. Exactly. So, uh, that, yeah, that what makes you human. Well, I thought that I was a human. <laughs> so as, I was. <laughs> but as far as Atlantis, though, and Edgar Casey, do you recall any of the other things that he uh, mentioned there? Mm, he said... Um, Still have those images, love. You didn't show them yet. Oh, one second. Oh, we got, we got to go underwater. We got to see the underwater. Yeah. Um, so yes. Edgar Casey. Well, he's he's more famous for saying that that there's the Hall of Records, 
and that that's kept in Egypt. It's under the Sphinx and the Sphinx guards the Hall of Records, which is the recorded history and knowledge from this Atlantean empire. Um, and that was, they were like, okay, well, let's see if it's right. And that's why in the 90s, they went to like scan around Egypt and they did find a cavity under the left paw of the Sphinx, which is weird. <laughs> um, so, but then, and then obviously the Egyptian government have never let anybody um go any further than that which is annoying considering they got they got the the scan saying that there was a a cavity exactly where Edgar Casey uh was so that's exciting because you know the one of the, one of the things that Edgar Casey said they've kind of found a bit of a proof of um is everything that Edgar Casey I I, I don't know I um I can't think off the top of my head like what else he was saying about Atlantis apart from the the, the Hall of Records thing. Mm. Well, now let's move on to the images here. I know that uh, Neil is very excited to uh, show us these. So over here we have this one, this underwater thing. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's um there's a location. Yes. One, one of these images is the location where all this stuff is. It's off the coast of Spain. It's not like mm -hmm. in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, but at least it shows you that there is some there is people living that far out. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. There was um, if when we go back to Plato's map, when he maps out the geography of where everything was, in my mind, it makes perfect sense. He says you got Strait of Gibraltar, at in front of the Strait, you've got an island. There used to be an island there. It's called. Oh yeah, oh, uh, Herodotus mentions um, it too. Um, I forgot the name of it. It's it's like, what's it called? like Sigpul Island or something that's probably not the name it's but, called um, it's called everybody subscribe to break the rules if you're enjoying the show that's what it's called so, oh the Garamantis because that's what no. Herodotus says right before the Atlantis you get to this place called the Garamantes so there's maybe an island be talking about the, the there, there's an island uh just in front of the straits and it went underwater about 12,000 years ago yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it fits and so there's an island there and then you go on and there's other islands and then you've got obviously the the sea mounts that the plateau the where the azores are um and then it goes you can go onto other islands and you can go across to the opposite continent and when they say opposite continent if you're talking about the straits what is the opposite continent to the straits it's the north america which it says is so big that it's that the ocean it surrounds the true ocean so i imagine I that they, they did find it i mean how did, I, how else I, did the native americans get there i mean i know there's the the, the Alaska land bridge, which, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Probably a lot of people coming from that. I think world. they had it. But I mean, never, if you... there could have been some seafarers coming from Spain that just got lucky and went over, but they never went back. They just got overstuck. Well, if, if the Atlantic Ocean did have a middle island and lots of other islands, then it means it wasn't such a huge, massive journey. You could do you could that. Stop, you could go. Right? You could go from the Straits over to the Seamounts, over to Atlantis, over to the next one. You could. There was ways to get water enough to get to the next. Like you wouldn't have to have a Titanic-sized boat to get over there. Right. Um, also, if you're a seafaring, if you've got a seafaring military, I think you're going to be all over the pond. Plus, there's the off the coast of Cuba. There's um, more pyramid shapes and weird stuff that's going on just off the coast of Cuba. So right. I think that, that actually, the Atlantic it's actually across is, the entire ancient world, like China, all the way up to the ancient world. Yeah, across yeah. the coast, China, India, uh, Myanmar, um, you know, it's Persia, Africa, all of it. If you go off the coast, you're going to find some sort of artifacts in the, in the water, mm. which shows you that the coast has been going up. Time, over time or in uh, japan as well on the coast japan, of japan yeah. there's supposedly yeah. something oh, yeah, going japan's on there 
They got some nice pyramids one. over there, some giant mm-hmm. pyramids over there. And it, 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 those ones look like the uh, the ones you see in America, the Mesoamericans, because they have the step yeah. ones. You know what I mean? And also, and when they, a, so, yeah. yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, even um, recently, like, American, they found footprints that are, like, 25,000 years old in America, um, human footprints. They've, they've found evidence that there were humans in there, like, over 100,000 years. I, of course, the if they were, the Atlantean Empire was a thing, of course they knew where America was. And Plato even, I can't think of what other, con- what opposite continent would that mean if they go, you can even go over to the opposite continent that surrounds the true ocean. The North American above down to South America is so big. If you were looking at it from the, from coming across the Atlantic Ocean, of course it would surround the sea. Um, yeah, very weird. Hmm. Because um, one thing that people get a bit annoyed at, people go, "Oh, Atlantis was a continent in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean." I'm like, "No, it wasn't. Plato never says it was a continent. That's something that like social. That's something that like we've we've in our culture we've added to it, but." He specifically says it's an island and that there were many islands and that the Atlantean, it was an empire and it wasn't mm. a continent. Uh, the only time he says continent wait, how, how much? How big does an island have to be when it joins the continent Big Boys Club? Huh? Um, what do you I mean? don't know what, what the S- reference is. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, at what point would you say something is a continent and something is an island? How small does it have oh, to be to be an island? And how no, big does it have to be to be a continent? Yeah. I think there's a, there's some, like, sort of, like, boxes it has to check. It has to be, like, it has to have, like, certain things that, like, it, it contains. That makes it a continent. Right. Um, yeah, but it, but it just wasn't referred to, like, Plato never referred to a continent that, of Atlantis. It was It was an island. And, and Atlantis was just the capital city of one of many islands. I think that when people get, they need to get that image more clear in themselves because they go, there wasn't a huge continent in the Atlantic Ocean. I was like, well, no, there wasn't. There was many little islands though. Mm. There was a huge empire and they controlled the South of Spain and the North of Africa and probably America and the Caribbean. And and yeah, like this, it was basically that slice of pie of the uh, globe at that time was covered by these guys. Well, I think there's a lesson in here for all of us when it comes to David versus Goliath, you know, that kind of thing. You don't have to have a giant landmass, <coughs> Russia, to uh, conquer the world. You England. Just, Eng- there we go, did. England. Well, Tiny little island. Exactly. Like it was massive. Yes, it's like, a, it's like the Chihuahua that, well, a Chihuahua thinks it's a pit bull, but it's not a pit bull. In England's case, it thought that it was a mighty lion and it ended up being a mighty lion. Or we could even go back to, uh, let's say, the uh, what was the uh, land area with the bulls? You know, the uh, dancing of the bulls. Um, Mino- well, no, King oh, Minos was there. Yeah, the um, Mycenaean Empire. They, they had the Minotaur. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So that was also an example of, uh, or the Phoenicians, which uh, was a coastal region at around the area of, uh, you know, above Israel, that was also considered to be a mighty empire. They ended up going into Italy. They ended up going into Greece. Carthage, yes, exactly. Carthage, but yeah, Yeah. the Phoenicians are interesting because they show you that there's, that that location was where all the fleets were. So if the Persians conquered Phoenicia, they became Persian fleets. When Alexander the Great conquered Phoenicia, they still still were the same fleets, but now they're just working for the Hellas now. So like these people were traveling all over the place. They had the best ships. And they're the ones who created the alphabet, which gave us a whole like world trading system because they're all, they're all using the same alphabet now. But um, they yeah, the Phoenicians. That's a big they traveled everywhere. Some people think they even went as far as Britain. 
well, supposedly for mining of the tin. So they were getting your tin, Johanna. What do you think about that? They were getting the what, sorry? Your tin. My tin? Yes. Oh, you know what my... Britain means? Isn't like the land of the tin or something? Oh, I've never heard that. Britain. I'll look it up. What is Britain? Mm, interesting. There we go. But the, idea, but the idea, again, is that you have these tiny places where a bunch of smart people, you know, work together to do amazing things. And in a way, I think it is because of this concentration. When you have a concentration of people together, there's no time to fool around. There's no time to relax. You know, you got to act. And they ended up acting and creating all these things, but they got punished for their hubris uh, regardless. Also, if you have a, an empire that there was 10, 10 kingdoms of Atlantis with 10 kings ruling like all simultaneously. So um, you would have allies like there was like a NATO of the day. Do you know what I mean? Like if you had beef with one Atlantean town, you'd have beef with all of them. So um, they had a system and the system was working until uh, nature decided to call it a day mm. and ended everybody. And the system, so. I think it was a similar one to how they work in the Italian mafia, where as a king, you are not allowed to murder or to do anything bad to any of your kin. Now, I don't know if that applies to the, uh, you know, to the lesser, you know, to the commoners, but at least among the kings, there was this idea that if somebody were to be punished, it would have to be decided by all the other kings whether or not the you know this person was going to be punished or not and they also did the sacrifice again this is all according to plato where they had to capture a bull but they had to capture this bull without using any weaponry they just used a stick and just like a like a lasso or something and they captured the bull they took the bull up to the pillar they you know the bull they had to you know slice the bull's neck uh, the poor bull right and then the blood of the bull was used to appease the gods, where they took some wine into these, um, into these uh, golden receptacles and they poured out the libations for their god. And afterwards, they sat down next to a campfire. They wore these azure-colored robes and they just hung out, relaxed, and then they talked about uh, what their next decrees were going to be. So that's how they worked it and that's the way that they kept uh, uh, in connection. Yeah, we get the violence out the way, chaps, and then we can uh, get down to business. Imagine if that's how they did Parliament today. Oh, yeah, well, bring, we're just missing the, the bull, bull, right? Yes. No, we need the bull. But uh, I don't know, when it comes to these various ancient civilizations and their customs, then their technology, how far do you think we are in terms of the mindset, even though we don't have the sacrifices? Do you do you go mm -hmm. with the Edward Casey idea that these reincarnations that keep occurring are there for a reason and the mindset is still there, this mindset of wanting to conquer or this mindset of wanting to bestow you know, greatness upon people? And the specific thing that he mentioned, by the way, is that, and I think this was around the 1940s, but it may still apply now, he mentioned that the reincarnation of people are specifically at a high point from the point of Atlantis today, especially in the United States, because you're going to get a lot of extremists. Extremists, I don't mean just bad. I mean, like, both good and bad. You're going to get people who want to do great things and who want to yeah. do horrible things. Yo, the well, name of Britain is crazy. You want to hear this real quick? Yeah, go oh, on. Pretaniki, P-R-E-T-T-A-N-I-K-E. It transformed over time into Britain. But that's when they, the Romans first ca called it that because it means painted people. But Nike is the god of victory. So the painted Yeah, they were painted people, blue. They, victory over the painted people. So that's what they call it. That's great. Wow. That's nice. Well, 
there we are the paint oil i do yeah. love a bit of paint um just to say about the um so my grandma she's quite a spiritual christian like a crystal person anyway she uh she's very very old now but she told me this story recently she was like funny that you're talking about atlantis because when i was a young girl i went to a um my friend took me to a a talk that was happening in Birmingham city center in England. And I went to the talk. I excused myself from the talk and I got lost. I was trying to find the toilet and this lovely lady found me and she, she said, Oh, you're, you're lost. I'll take you back to the main uh, part of the building. And as we were walking, the lady just said to me, you'll never do it. You know, and my grandma was like, what do what? I didn't say anything. She was like, you'll never learn to swim. And my grandma was like, oh, because she has a huge phobia of swimming and she never did learn to swim. And she was like, no, you'll never do it um, because that's how you died in Atlantis and you died in the water and you'll never, you'll never get over that. Like you won't, won't in this lifetime. My grandma was like, <laughs> okay. Um, so she was like, I've never forgotten that. This random psychic lady who was helping me find my way back from the toilet told me that I would never learn to swim because that's how I died in a previous life. I died, I drowned in Atlantis and um, and it's not going to be this round that I get over that. And I was like, okay, that's weird. But um, if my grandma is reincarnated from Atlantis uh, and died, well, she she's not um, trying to take over the world or have very heavy politics or she's just an average little grandma who can't swim. So I'm not sure. Going back to your point about if Edgar Casey's saying people coming are coming back, are they are they only the people coming back who are trying to take the power? Or I don't think it's uh, the only people. But if there was this point in Atlantis history where people of let's say a high degree of power were misusing it, then the question is: yeah. out of all the eras for you to be reborn, wouldn't it make sense for you to be reborn in an era where there is this very technologically advanced empire, maybe not technologically advanced in here, but out here. And then there comes the question of what do you do now? Because if we have all these abilities that we can start uh, unleashing, there is still the question of, um, well, first of all, do we get distracted by the internet? Because in a way, what the Atlanteans had, if they had it again, was this ability to telecommunicate without the use of technology, you know, read mm -hmm. minds, be in this inner internet. But now, since we have all of this, you know, real, real information in front of us, but not in our heads, it does, in a way, I think, denigrate our own power. Because you don't need to use your mind in order to search for things, in order to remember things. I mean, this was something that was a big complaint, you know, way back in ancient Greece, where there was this fear of losing your memory when you start writing books down, for instance. There was a fear of not having as advanced of uh, an operating yeah. system in your head. I feel like we're the technology that we're developing is I feel like we're replicating ancient skills and we're just transferring it to machinery. So like back in the day, you would remember orienteering. I remember learning that at school. I don't know how to do that now. I just follow my my GPS. Like I don't know how to read where I am in the world using where I am, or I, I don't know how to, uh, like um, text messages and phone calls, how do we communicate with people on other sides of the world? I feel like that's probably mirror image to what people could do back then. You could probably contact people and check in with them. And I think we have like a really weird, like little echo of that today when, you know, when you 
you think of someone and you, you know they're not okay or you think of someone and then they call you and you're like that's so weird of all of the people I've ever known why am I and I think that and we just keep every time it happens we go oh that's weird hmm, that's weird but I think there's like a little tiny little echo of like skills that we used to have and I think we are killing it because we're transferring like memory orienteering skills all this knowledge and information we're transferring it to technology like even just doing things with our hands mending things fixing things building things we're just giving that to like even now we don't even use things our hands anymore we just go hey alexa do this and it's a bit like yeah we're becoming we're becoming more advanced in some way but we're also becoming more like in another um so but but on the flip side i think that even five years ago people would not be open to talking about the idea of Atlantis. And now a lot of people are like up for talking about a, a whole list of subjects that they wouldn't, uh, people's minds are opening and they're changing up probably because of like a, a backlash of this whole technology, plug yourself in. People are kind of going back to the source. And when you go back to the source, you go back to nature and you go back to the universe and physics and quantum physics. And I think people are going to start plugging back mm. in um, to where it is before and i just keep going back to every single temple in ancient egypt the symbology everywhere that you went it was again and again and again and it was the same imagery of the blue lotus the tuning fork um and the frequency so it was something to do with and, and, and advanced mathematics was another one so if you have if you have the like the access to enlightenment was through frequency advanced mathematics and um blue lotus which is which was there like ayahuasca basically mm. and I'm then you bit, would find uh, like ultimate knowledge i'm a bit uh not skeptical but i'm a bit uh, hesitant about the ayahuasca business as well as the blue lotus business just because at least my interpretation of various drug usage is that you're giving yourself over to a substance that's going to do something for you and either nothing matters or everything matters. If everything matters, then you utilizing your own willpower to achieve a certain task all the more increases what you end up getting out of that. I know that Neil and I may differ on this regard. Uh, Neil, I know that uh, psychedelics have done uh, great things for you and I don't want to take anything away there, but just in terms of how I try to... Oh, the ancients did too. They, they got the illusion and mysteries in Greece. They joined Kekion and the... Uh, in fact, I'm just re I was just finished reading the hymn to Demeter and the, it says that the, whoever got initiated in the mysteries no longer feared death. Um, in the in the Soma tradition too, in Vedic tradition, it's the awesome. You meet the awesome god uh, uh, Indra, and this was like the transforming of the metamorphosis for people to go from fearing being being fearing being mortal and having a you know, maybe die, maybe there's no life after death. I don't believe in anything. So all of a sudden, oh my god, what was that? I was just in. There's something else. Now I have purpose yeah. in life. So that's. I what think it does. It's, it's, the fact that it's in every single ancient tradition in the world, they hooked onto that. And they, whether it was in mushrooms or whether it was in blue lotus or whether it was in ayahuasca, whether, whichever form they took it, it's part of the very key of the understanding of the universe for them. And I think that it, yeah. I, and I don't know why exactly like science wise, but, but I've had one experience of it and I can tell you it, it is exactly that right. it is like you feel suddenly you go from this tiny little thing to being this tiny thing that's connected to this huge thing you feel like you have a purpose it feels incredibly religious 
And that's why um, that's why I don't understand the whole argument. It's like, well, you're just cheating. You just need to take. It's like you're still you. You still have to do the work for yourself when it's over. Like you're not like you're not like going from start to finish. It's just all it is is a it's a spiritual awakening moment that you can point to. It's like a, a fixed point in your in your journey that you can use. It's a tool. It's not like the end all be all. It's not like you're going to take DMT and you're going to become a floating sage like the Buddha and you're flying around <laughs> everywhere. Like, no, it's just it's all it is. Yeah. It's one, it's one moment in your life that gave you an, a perspective that you can work off. Yeah, but it, the question still remains if you would have gotten that perspective in a different way through just oh, plain meditation, why well, not? You, not everyone can do that, though. How do you know? Um, but who can everyone can, I, can you do it right now? I. I'm able to get it close. Here's here's what I can say. Here's what I can say. And I want Johanna's opinion of this as well. But before I did the Terrence McKenna heroic dose, which was back in 2016, I just meditate. I mean, I also uh, vaporized a bit of weed before that, whatever, whatever. But uh, and now I don't do any drugs since I think 2017 have been completely free from everything. But during the experience pre-mushrooms, I was able to get to the same, you know, seeing the third eye in the center, the white cross, you know, seeing the various shapes emanating from there. I was able to get to that point. The psychedelics pushed it to a higher extreme and it lasted several months afterwards, that psychedelic residue. But at least I felt like if I were to have kept going, which I'm going right now, on the same path, I would have been able to go higher and further to the extent of getting to that uh, place that I was on the mushrooms, maybe a little bit later, but then what's the fucking rush? I don't know. Yeah, but what's how is that an argument against somebody that wants to do do it the the, uh, the, the quick way? Yeah, well, the, the argu- well the argument about the quick way is what is going to be the trade off? Not even in this lifetime, but in the cosmic sense. What? That just made no sense. No offense, but that <laughs> no, that, it that, makes absolute that, sense. What, what, but you're just well, you're just, that I think was an abstract it's, question. You just like you just make it's how they it's how they used to do it. It's how they passed down. They they literally put the images everywhere, and they were saying this is how you can access stuff. I think you possibly can do it both ways. Like so, my experience. Yeah. I grew up with a religious background, and my experience of taking a psychedelic, I felt the same as I did when I was a kid. And I was having a religious experience. I was like, whoa, it's the same feeling. Like, that's weird. That why would there be a trade off, though? What would, what, like, what, you're just. No, the reason why there would be a trade off, in my opinion, is that you are forcing open a door that you would have been able to open otherwise through your own work and i think that by doing that by getting something earlier than you were supposed to through your own doing what do you mean supposed to know what if you were supposed to do it that way the ancients did it that way it's all in the scriptures it's in the vedas it's in the yes and again when you're talking about the ancients which ancients are you talking about according to plato hold on hold on hold on according to plato let's get back to plato let's get back to atlantis for a second okay so in atlantis they were talking i'm glad that i'm the only one who disagrees i I love it it's my one of my favorite things to be devil's advocate (laughs) i'm trying to understand how that what that means when you say the trade-off in the next world it's it's so simple for me to understand but i will try to explain So before that, going back to Atlantis, what did they say about the gods? The gods intermingled with the humans and they lost this godly essence. They lost this ability to, let's say, if I were to think of what's the closest proximity to whatever this essence was, I would say that they were already in the state of having the sexual energy being transmuted up 
through their crown chakra. That's based what I would what? say it was. Based on what? Based on what I believe. Based on what I think is the closest <laughs> to that. No, that was just I mean, off the wall. It could mean it could mean it could be like exactly they didn't specify exactly what that meant. So them being enlightened could be enlightened in what does that have to do with people taking soma or kaikian because when you're taking a substance and not using your own willpower to do something i think in the karmic sense there is something to the idea of utilizing your own will and in the midst of boredom in the midst of all of these things that were tangled with the technology you utilizing your own will to sit no, down shut right. up and do rights I don't think when you say sacred, I don't think that we should attribute to that word exactly what you're attributing. It was sacred to them. That doesn't mean that they're the be all end all. That doesn't mean that whatever they were they doing. Much. So then when we're talking about sacred, I don't think it's I don't think it's the only not only do I think it's not the only way, but it may have worked for them. But there may have been repercussions from doing it that way. That's all I'm saying. And what are those? Yeah, I what, don't, what do you I don't understand. I'm trying to understand you. I'm not trying to, argue. Okay. Trying to understand yes. what you mean. What's the repercussions of someone taking a Okay, so the question, and this is for Jahan and Gnostic, what do you think Obviously. is the point of having willpower? What do you think is the point of, instead of just clicking a button, being able to experience you know, all this oneness with the universe or taking a pill and experience oneness with the universe? But it's what there do you think for is the reason, right? Well, I think what's there Why for a reason is the... For these, for these, for these substances, if they're yeah, not, if for they, reason. they're like, found I, in na they're found in nature, and they sure. and they and and they affect us in. Like, but no, I naturally. I understand that they affect us. But let's go back to the question of willpower, because I think this is where my argument lies. What is the point of us striving for anything? What is the point of us having to discipline ourselves to sit mm. down and meditate and do all this stuff as opposed to just taking a magic pill and achieving enlightenment? You do. You can do both, though. You can still meditate yeah. and do all that. You have to do. Sure. You, you have to do all of it. Like you can't, if you're not in the right place, if you're not got the right focus and the right energy, that, that's why people have bad trips and good trips. Like if you're not in a good place, you need to, your intentions have to be set and everything. But I think that it's very clear from the ancient texts. Like I said, it's all over Egypt. It's all over the ancient world. They were saying to access the knowledge. It's, this is part of the world and this is part of accessing it. And I think it's something to do with the there's dimensions and there are things that there are spe color spectrums that we can't see, like as a sober human, that um, you can see things when you're on psychedelics, your color spectrum gets quantified. And, you know, you can see things in like 8K rather than normal 1080p, like normalized. And, and I think that that's part of the secrets of the universe is that these uh, herbs, these elements, these mushrooms, these flowers, they can help you access other spectrums of our physical world and and it doesn't say it's not like there's the easy path and there's the righteous long path to do it yourself i think you can probably access it both ways you could probably meditate for a very long time and get to a very similar place or you can but it's all it's all kind of the, the same way to the same place it's a, it's a different different way to the same place that's what i'm trying to say like right. It, and I mean, it's it's it, it's like it's the secret that what the ancients they wrote it down and they carved it on their temples and they were like you access the full spectrum of the universe through these things frequencies through blue lotus through this and it was very important to them and i'm definitely not saying that those two things cannot interact i think a lot of people have been able to make them interact in a very positive way i just don't know just like for my own curiosity here what exactly is 
the power of the will? How exactly would you define it as separate from having any substance open the door? But your does brain that, is substances. A, you are, when you're doing these meditations, there's substances, there's chemicals in your brain that you're interacting with. You're making that. It's the same thing. It's all in the brain. It's all chemicals in the brain. But it takes a lot I, more effort on your part to actually do I that. I think willpower comes more, it comes more in, um, it, 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 more in like the, the temptations of humans, like fighting, killing someone, um, willpower. That's why we have willpower and we have like control. I think it's more of a survival thing about how do, who do we choose to fight and who do we choose not to fight and, and being able to control yourself in situations. Because if you just fought every single person that attacked you, you're not going to last very long. You have to be able to pick and choose your fights. You have to be able to uh, have the willpower not to eat. If you just continued eating, you would die. Or, you know, I think willpower is very useful, but I think it's more for survival rather than like, I don't know, super. Well, then here's the big question what is the reason for us to exist in this particular lifetime that we were born in? Do we have certain challenges to overcome? I mean, every lifetime has challenges. I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be there in 9,600 BC. That was a horrific time. Of course. Um, no, but I mean more, do you think? I'm happy that, that I'm happy that I'm born now. <laughs> oh, I'm happy um, that you're born now too. I'm happy to, that I'm born now. We've, we're in a very privileged. I don't think it's, I don't think the answer to that question isn't, you have a, your it's it's all about you i think it's a the it's, you know what is the purpose of everything happening like i think there's yeah there's more i, I think that's more the answer i think when well you that, that's in the larger level but at the same time i think everybody has their own challenge to overcome and again according to edgar casey and others the reincarnation that we're born into it does give us specific things to work on and we focus on we recognize oh okay this is something that i have to work on and so when you look at life this way, then I do think that the role of human willpower is far more, even though it is for survival and all the things that you mentioned, I think it does serve an incredibly important role in, again, being in a state of boredom, being in a state of deciding, do I take the easy way out or the harder way out? I think every single minutia, every single decision we ever make in our entire life matters. There is, a, there is something to the idea of, what exactly do I decide to do at any waking moment? And it may not matter that much. Maybe it matters, you know, like this much or maybe this much, but it still matters. That's basically my point here. Well, we've, we're sentient beings with free will and we can, yeah, make decisions in every moment. And uh, I'm, I'm starting to just get into kind of the idea of, of how time works because obviously time isn't aligned. Time is in every direction and there's there could possibly be infinite possibilities of time and every decision you make creates an infinite like version of you and and i was like that also could be a thing because like you know time isn't i don't know about us being re i don't think everybody's reincarnated i don't know about reincarnation i like i like the idea that we're individuals and souls are individuals um yeah. here's why i think reincarnation exists i'll give you an example you have people who are born with various uh, psychological problems, various problems with the body. And the question for me is, is this their only chance at existence? You know, and that's a very tough question because it's like that whole, you know, episode of South Park, you know, do the handicapped go to hell? You know, like this idea of like, is this the only time that we have on Earth? Wait, wait, wait. But how does that say there's reincarnation? You just asked a question. 
Yes. Because you, oh, you, you think that's not fair if there isn't. That some people I get think, different. Yes, I think that if some people get different, you know, ways of interacting with the world in such a way that they're incredibly limited in the way like certain things, certain faculties don't even work, then it would be very strange for me, again, if this is all not just a big, you know, random chance, if there is some structure to this whole thing, then it would be very mm -hmm. weird for me for that to be the only existence that this particular soul has ever had. I was just talking to Kyle Ruck about this and I'm um, editing the video right now with Kyle Ruck. Um, and we were talking about like if if it like if we were to see, be real rational about this and that and you, like try to think about this like for, for real like the possibility I think there's a possibility that when people die like you you come in this life through evolution and evolutionary you know cause and effect and you you get your lot in life some people get born rich some people are born poor some animals get eaten right away as soon as they're born a, a wolf comes and eats the baby. And like, that's crazy. But like, there's also that possibility that when the, when this world ends, when the sun destroys the world and the black hole sucks up the solar system and finally the last black hole sucks up the last black hole, billions and trillions and gazillion, jillion, jillion years from now, what happens then? Is there some sort of deist movement, like some sort of memory that can bring, that can like go back in time and like do things or whatever and bring life forms or consciousness back. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. Then the question would be when you die, you're not really going to like a heaven or hell. You are gone. You're no longer a thing. You're literally dead. But the moment from death till that moment would feel like a split second because you don't know you're dead. So you die. Gajillion, 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 gajillion years goes by. You don't even know that. You can't feel it. You don't know it. It's the, the moment you die in 1962 to the moment in the infinite future feels like a split second and you're just woken up. That could be a possibility. I'm just saying that would be, I, I say that because you, the reason why I say it is because nobody knows what's going to happen. No one knows if reincarnation is real. No, no one knows if heaven's real. We don't know. All we know is that we're here right now. Make the best of it. Be a better person. Make the world better. Make people remember you for a good reason. And that's all yeah. you can do. You know, also just to put a little throw thing in there, I wouldn't necessarily judge like, I have my mum is a was a a teacher of the special needs and I've had many family members growing up around them all my life and just because they have a different experience to you doesn't mean that it's like a less one um they my brother's autistic and some people see that as a like a less thing but his the way he sees the world and how his brain functions is amazing and his experience is some people would say because he doesn't fit in with society in 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 and has the same like social um, mannerisms, but he, but like his experience of the world is just a different one, and it's the same if you were blind, you just have a different experience of the world, or if you're deaf, or um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go, oh, it's a shame. I yeah. hope that we can be. I mean, there, there are also just better... like various deformations as well, you know, like when your entire body doesn't work, and you could say that yeah. that's also different, but that's. You know, just the idea that that's the only one that the person's going to have. I mean, it may be possible, but I do lean on there being a multiplicity of experiences that you and your brother and Neil and myself will have in order to learn more of what it's like to love. I think ultimately, as hippy-dippy as it sounds, that's what it comes down to. Hey, Lev, I mean, yeah. real quick, I just I got to get going. This has been fun. It has. Um, Jahan, go to super chat. Jahan, I, I want to do a, um, an episode on how old the world is. If you want to, if you're down, I'll email you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Lev, amazing. Lev, oh, my I my, sorry. The what you time. Saying? Yeah. 
No, no, I'm just saying yes. We've we've uh, we've hypothesized for many an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, quite, indeed. Quite late Lev, you too. I still have to get you on my channel too, Lev. Oh, absolutely. I'll, Hev I'll, uh, heavens, yes. So yeah. we are going. Yeah, to get I mean, to... we, we went from Plato and then we just took a left turn at psychedelics and we got real deep here. Yes. But this is this, this is, is cool. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, I think it relates right back to Atlantis. This conversation about willpower because it's a question of. Take care, Neil. Thank you so much for coming in. Whoa, weird looking screen now. So I think it, it really is a question of what do we do with the time that we have and how do we make sure that we don't repeat the uh, mistakes of the uh, Atlanteans were those mistakes mm -hmm. to have been real. And I think that, you know, we're going to do whatever it is that we can to live a good life, to treat others with uh, respect, but also just to work on making sure that we don't just succumb to are and not that animal instincts are wrong i think animal instincts rock but it's a question of what do you do what do you do with this uh, sexual energy that's inside of you how do you make sure that you don't just uh, that you don't waste it you know that you apply the energy that you have the energy that shakti you know the animating energy of the universe gave to you how do you make the most of that and how do you I don't know. I guess the ultimate idea behind a lot of these mystery schools is to figure out that we are all one, you know, as that whole mm -hmm. new age saying goes. But it's one thing to say it, another to experience it, right? So there is an ancient um, crystal. Well, they don't even know what it is. It looks like a crystal altar that's at Abu Sir in um, in Egypt. It's actually not open to the public. It's uh, it hasn't been open to the public in like a hundred years. You have to pay to get special access to it. So we did, and. We were told to put our phones away because we're not allowed to film this, but we were told we could go and lie on this crystal altar, and um, which people have been doing for like thousands of years. Wow. It was really cool. And they said, okay, we're, we're going to say you a chant that you can say. We'll translate it into English for you. Obviously, it didn't used to be in English. In old commission, it used to be in that. But the, the chant was, um, it was something like, I see the light. The, like, the light is above me. The light is within me i see the light i am the light it was something like that and people used to just chant that and that was basically the kind of inner mantra of ancient pre-dynastic egypt it was like you see it i am it it's in me we are it it's all one and and it's yeah it's you know what the hippies were right the whole time it's the whole time like we are one we're all connected we're all connected in, and we're all affected in ways that we don't even imagine and we're so caught up with like what are we wearing who's cool more what's in song tiktok like we're getting distracted from the main purpose and point of us being here like we have this fantastic world and if we actually focused our energies and and got into even just a little 10 percent into what our brains could do like i think the capacity of the human body we don't we haven't even tapped into our memory of like how we can engage our thought the power of thought the power of all of that like it's exciting it's exciting do you uh, disagree with some of the Christian people that are in the chat? This is like the second to last question, then last question okay. of the Super Chats. Do you disagree with the religious people in the chat who say that a lot of this hocus pocus, they actually believe that, that yeah, this is real, but these are actually demons. So don't don't listen to the demons. Don't unlock your chakras or that, um, that'll bring the demons into you. What do, what do you think of that? No, I think I think that possibly one of the reasons why Jesus was able to perform miracles was possibly because he was super connected to the world and he could do things that would seem, whenever we see things that we go, magic, miracles, gods, I think 
it's just accessing another part of the universe or physics or something in a way that we just cannot comprehend. And so I'm more likely to believe that I, I don't think that there's demons and devils and everything. I think it's just, I, I think it's just humans and energy and abilities, skills. And, you know, there possibly are people that like, if, like if ancient um, people had the ability to manipulate stone in a way that we cannot comprehend, they could, manipulate and carry and lift and move stone in a way that modern humans have never been able to work out how they could do that if you can manipulate stone and make it wet appear wet and then redry it like that's not magic that's not the devil that's not it, it, it's science you know it's it's quantum physics doing its thing in a way that we don't understand so i'm i'm more you know people can believe what they want to believe i'm not bashing what you want to believe but I don't think it's there's de devils in chakras. I think there's a lot of sense in the, the human body is amazing. And I think it has more credit. It's not devils. It's just I, th I think it's a matter of growing up as a person where when you do have a certain amount of powers, the question is, what do you do with them? This is also why a lot of the uh, Hindu yogi gurus were very uh, cautious when it comes to talking about siddhis, the idea of these various powers that you can start unlocking when you do a lot of this very intense kundalini yoga, because their thought pattern was you get these powers and all of a sudden you're going to be way more stuck to being in this uh, in this maya than you were before that, because now you're in like the Buddhist, the Mahayana Buddhists refer to it as the realm of the jealous gods, this state of being where you have all these mm -hmm. superpowers and you could do all this fun stuff, but now you're even more stuck than ever into repeating it, which is why they saw the realm of human beings as being the best of all possible realities, because you're not as you're not as screwed up as the realm of the hungry ghosts who are always chasing after the high. You're not in the realm of the hell beings who are always being tortured. And you're not in the realm of the gods where you just have all this superpower and all this ability to do these fun things that you don't want to leave this state of Maya. So their whole thought pattern was to escape this wheel of rebirth by being a human being where it's not that great, it's not that unpleasant, it's like the Goldilocks area where now you have, let's say, more of a choice to see, okay, I'm here, what am I going to do? Am I going to continue this thing? Am I going to go beyond this? What is beyond this? You know, now I think is the time to figure all this stuff out. But uh, anyway, let us go to Super Chats. This has been an amazing conversation, Jahana. I really appreciate you being here. I would Thanks love for having me. Thank you for being here, and I would love to have you back anytime. Thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I need to read up on my Edgar Casey a lot more. I realized I was like, I, I just skimmed the top of him, so I need to same, dig into my... same, same thing here. We're gonna Casey it up. We're gonna Steiner it up. We're gonna do all that. <laughs> so here we have one hour ago, Alex Alpine, five dollars. Could Atlantis be connected to the antediluvian story in Genesis? Well, interesting. I've got very, very religious grandparents who believe in Atlantis. They were like, yeah, it was all the pre-flood. Um, they, they, they believe it's all one and the same. Um, they just the timelines. They think the the timeline is different because they believe that the, the Earth's six thousand years old. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the story of Atlantis is is whispered and it's echoed. And I think that the theme t turns up in many civilizations and ancient texts. It's it's just a theme that keeps 
popping up. I think that the whole memory of what happened to the to humankind around that 10,000, 12,000 years ago, I, I, of course it probably pops up in Genesis. Like, probably, like, hmm. it makes sense that, it be, like, we remember we we kind of like got amnesia um uh, like graham hancock says we're, we're a species with amnesia and we're like vaguely remembering and or stuff that seems really familiar like oh flood yeah yeah and that's why the flood stories pop up and islands that disappear pop up that story pops up in more than one place because it happened in more than one place and there's also so, the yeah. uh, the copulation as well if we're talking about genesis and the book of enoch there is the whole uh, story of the god or the fallen angels rather copulating with the human women and creating the nephilim and here yep. you have in the story of plato the gods copulating with the human women as in the it's all yeah yeah it's all kind of like it's the same stories retold and retold and we're just working out what does that mean Do, are the nephilim beings from another place are they beings from another civilization um so they seem like gods because they're so knowledgeable or they're physically bigger what were people um there was an interesting just a one of the guys that i was on the tour with he was a pain specialist um an old doctor who's a pain specialist and he emailed me afterwards and was like food for thought food for thought um wondering about whether um like the dna pre pre uh cataclysm um whether humans were actually physically a little bit different back then um and it was something to do with how we deal with pain now um and, and i can't remember exactly but it was, it was in his field but he he got me thinking um was there like a did they have even a physically a different capacity for strength for memory for brains were their brains bigger i mean there's the whole skulls the, the big the big skulls that you yes. can find some of them are not real some of them are um normal humans that have bound their skulls some of them were born like that there's a fetus with a massive cone head like they had a brain capacity that was crazily different to us so i think at some point in in our human story there might have been species of subspecies of humans that have just different skills different capacities mm. different brains well, look at the Bigger, Neanderthals, stronger. for example. Like the Neanderthals, they have pretty big heads too, but their body is kind of squished, if that makes yeah. sense. They're you know? like stocky, stocky yes. but short. Um, but then you've got the, the, the cone heads, which are yeah. way big. Brain capacity, like I think it was like 33% more or, or for, if we're thinking of, let's say, Lord of the Rings, for example, J.R.R. Tolkien, this is alleged to J.R.R. Tolkien when he was writing Lord of the Rings, he went to this library and he was researching all of these ancient texts about these, uh, you know, very, very old civilizations. And that's where he got all of his various, uh, you know, hobbits, dwarves, all of these from. So that goes a little yeah. bit to British history, something closer, closer to your neck of the woods there. Well, they did. They found the hobbits. There's now a subspecies of humans in the Philippines. Mm, Homo florensis. Yeah, and they're like diddly. They're, they're <laughs> three feet tall, and they've got big feet, and they're, 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 they're like are literal hobbits. So, I mean, you know, we're going to find the elves soon. Well, so. apparently the elves were already found by uh, various people who are in an inebriated state in uh, Ireland or Scotland where they go into the woods. <laughs> they describe the, I don't know if it's elves, they call them fairies, but they describe fairies not as being like these wee creatures, but as being these blonde, tall, six foot tall people who, uh, you know, are like of this warrior warrior cast you know that they see and then Sounds they like disappear me. 
Exactly. There we go. So you got to go. You got to jo- uh, join them later on in, in the woods. Hopefully, we have the map. We're gonna get to Agartha. That's <laughs> gonna be the next uh, the next stage. Yeah, we got to get to Agartha before this whole thing blows up. So, well, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> anyway, next super chat. We have um, Imposter Sir Spence four ninety nine, Johanna James and G I. It's Gnostic Informant A plus. Couldn't agree more. Cool. So next Thank we have. You. Gaius Julius Windex. Oh, I love that name. 199. GI Gnostic Informant is a beast for Gnosis. He is a beast. He, he knows go. so much, Neil. It's he does. impressive. Absolutely. Very impressive. Oh, God. I don't even know want to say this. All right. The ABC 1234563992. Oh, man. Je- Johanna, please beat me. Oh. He's a sucker for punishment. He just wants you to. Uh, you know, drink a few pints and then just, you know, do the old, you know, left, right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Go beat yourself, ABC. Uh, A massive McGee, two pounds. Uh, Let's go spoons. Uh, Johanna, you sound great. Uh, Crake, I guess spoons is his local sports team. I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty. Okay. Spoons is, um, is like a pub. It's a bar like chain in England. You go, you go to your weather spoons. Ah, well, that makes sense because Massive McGee is from England, so... Yeah, yes. so you go down to the Spoons, you go down to the pub to have a chat at the Spoons. Very, very interesting. I'm, I'm getting a lot of uh, newfound uh, knowledge here <laughs> about England. Also, Greg's. I know Greg's is a very big thing. Greg's, and, yeah, Greg's yes. is like a bakery and Spoons is a pub. Nice. Have you heard of the North FC meme, by the way? No. no? Okay, oh man, I got to share those with you. Okay, so North, so which part of England are you from originally? London. Okay, London. So North would, well, North, sorry, North England would have certain uh, gentlemen there who are very, uh, very stocky. You know, like they're, here, I'll show you an image and uh, curious what you think about this. I don't even know if I should do this, but why not? So this you see in the chat, this is, hold on, it's loading. Here we go. This is North FC. So... (laughs) This is how I recognize they, that man. Yeah. Yeah, this is how they portray the Northerners and they talk about how much they love Greg's and uh, all, all that fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> bang on. It's bang on. Yeah. Great. Yes. Uh, they have so. I think so, it's my uncle. Oh man, they have so many of these memes. They also have like a like like a future uh, version as well. Like there's like a like a RoboCop t- type thing. Let's see if I could find that. And by the way, everybody like this thing right now, okay? Like it. Be sure to subscribe. Everybody who has not subscribed yet, subscribe right now. But this is it. Look at this. Do you see what it's written over there in the little robot can, thing? Can you make I it out? I Because I can only see the middle of it. Oh. All right, here. I'm going to make a giant uh, version of this for your uh, viewing pleasure if you haven't uh, seen it yet. Here. Now you can read this. Do you, do you see what it says over here? North Tech. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there we go. That's a little bit of uh, the uh, North culture on the internet for you. Anyway, let I us... I don't g- know about that. Thank you. You're welcome. This is what we do. This is info hazards. BTR is like a giant info hazard, talking about Atlantis and talking about uh, North Tech and all that. Anyway, Jet Ison, $5. Question, what do y'all think about the possibility of Atlantis being a floating island. If it's buoyant sealed and displaces water, it can float. 
Oh, yeah, like in the the floating city, like in um, the movie Waterworld. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, no, I, I think it was an island, and because th there's so much um, geology that supports the fact that the Azores in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean was above the water and it sank. Like the the geology all fits. The when um, North America was covered with the ice sheet it was compressed, it was lower down. And then when it got hit by the comet or by the plasma, the the um, the North American ice sheet melted almost instantaneously. Millions, trillions of metric tons of water were put into the Atlantic Ocean, which caused the seabed to do this, like a waterbed. And so you've got the North America is, is rising up and finally can breathe after thousands of years. And then you've got the depression that happens in the mid-Atlantic, which means that it's it, like all the geology fits with the story. It, it's kind of there to support it. it, it it's completely plausible with uh, the geology of the planet as we know it. So rather than a floating island, I would say, dude, there's a real island. It's called the Azores Plateau. It was above the surface and now it's not. And the people were floating, you know, on the inside. That's what they were doing. <laughs> they were floating on the inside. Thus, it was a floating island. Thus, so, yes. <laughs> so anyway... This is the end of the episode. I am so glad to see everybody here. Once again, for all the people who have not subscribed right now, what are you doing with your life? We have such an amazing guest today as Jahana James. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for not subscribing for well, content. As, there we go. As good as, uh, as good as this. So before I go, once again, thank you so much, Jahana. Is there anything you would like to plug? Any projects that you are currently working on right now? Um... No, just my channel, Funny Old World. And if you want to see my TV show, I'm in a TV show that's just mm. come out. Um, the TV show is called Deep Heat. It's about wrestling. It's a comedy show. So if you want to Google oh, nice. Deep Heat, Johanna James, if you're not in the UK, you might have to use a VPN. You can watch it online for free. Um, but uh, you might have to use a VPN to like sneak into England and watch it. But um, yeah, it's called Deep Heat. So go watch it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So there we have it. And once again, uh, patreon.com slash break the rules. Become a patron. Uh, Johanna, do you have a Patreon as well that you would like me to plug? I don't. I don't at the minute. Uh, I'm just churning out everything for free right now. But uh, but maybe in the future. People keep asking, so I might set one up in the future. Yes, for those who want to support Johanna, just support Break the Rules, and you'll be supporting Johanna in spirit by uh, becoming <laughs> yeah. a patron. So there we go. This is the end. Oh, and you're going to get a lot of beautiful magnets as well when you become a patron. I don't know if you're a fan of uh, woodworking, Johanna, but my father creates very beautiful, very exquisite magnets for... Um, for oh, the nice. uh, break the rules so very i'm nice. i just want to post an image of these magnets right now and we are going to be out of here so once again everybody subscribe and add a like the likes are incredibly important without the likes mm. there is nothing you understand it's the algorithm you got to feed and sneed the algorithm in order for the likes to work so here are the yeah. magnets here you can see very beautiful magnets created by my father oh, wow. It's nice, right? You get the little moth over here. You have the uh, these little pieces, and these are going to be random magnets. This is for the uh, this is for the twenty dollar uh, patrons. For the five dollar patrons, they're going to get the MP3s of the episode after they come out. They're going to get to appear on and watch the Patreon only streams, uh, which I'm going to do a lot more of, and. They are also going to get our undivided love. And lastly, <laughs> for uh, $30 patrons, they're going to get a beautiful print from Geo. And $50 patrons are going to get 
custom magnets instead. So if you have a custom design that you want to see done as a magnet, uh, it shall be done. And also for those who are fans of sticks, Hex and Hammer 666, you're going to get this nice looking dragon as well. So there we go. That is all. That is all co-package. That is all. Oh, and a lot of other things. Uh, painting from Geo, uh, Jules uh, Warhammer 40k figures from him, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you guys so much for watching. Any Amazing. final, any final words of wisdom, like last word before we oh. end this thing forever. Oh, you know, oh, as above, so below. It's I all, love it. Yeah.